the most powerful position that you can have right now as a parent is not your presence. The most powerful position that you have is prayer. Hey there, and welcome to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. This is episode 218. Today, I'm talking with my friend Pam Fields about how to pray for prodigal children. You're listening to The Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I am so grateful you're here listening today. This week, I'm talking with my friend and fellow podcaster, Pam Fields. Pam, welcome to The Bible Speaks to You. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember that Pam was on a previous episode when we were talking about mothers in the Bible. It was a year and a half ago on Mother's Day. So this is the second time Pam has been on the show. That episode was episode 134. It was called Moms in the Bible, and I'll have that link in the show notes in case you missed it or would like to listen again. We had a wonderful conversation about various moms in the Bible. Let me tell you a little bit about Pam. She and her husband, Andrew, have nine children and four grandchildren. And she's always had a heart for encouraging moms in their walk with the Lord and in their mothering journey. She's had quite a bit of experience with that, obviously, and still doing that full time. She enjoys sharing testimonies on her podcast, which is called The Mom Next Door Stories of Faith. And when Pam has some free time, which I don't know that that's very often with all those kids and grandkids, you'll probably find her having a cup of coffee with friends or she's planning her next family gathering at her home in Cookville, Tennessee. So, Pam, again, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. All right, let's get going. The reason I wanted to have you back on the show is because a while back, you and I were talking about how there are a lot of kids who have left their families, kind of like the parable of the prodigal son in the Bible that's in Luke 15, uh, starting verse 11. and I'm sure most of my listeners are very familiar with that parable where the younger son leaves his home and spends all his money recklessly and then comes back to the father. But sometimes there are kids who have left families and they haven't made that full circle yet. Mm -hmm. In our previous conversation, I did not realize how many people this is affecting. And so you've had a little personal experience in this So I would love for you to kind of share your story a little bit, but I'm coming at this from 
We're coming up to the Christmas season. I mean, it's just a week or two away. You know, it's hard enough when a child has left your home in general, but coming up to Christmas, you want the family to be there, and there's this empty place, either literally or figuratively, at the table. And that must be hard as a parent. So I'd love to talk about this. How do we pray for the prodigals in our lives? Maybe we're the prodigals sometimes. But I'd love to kind of have this conversation around helping us open our hearts, especially at Christmas time, and include them in our love and not give up hope. That's kind of where I'm going with our conversation today. So you've got a child who you have referred to as a prodigal. Could you kind of share that story with us a little bit? Yeah. And I do think that there are a lot of us in this situation. Uh, It's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, And probably because our story and what we're going through directly is related to our child's own story. And so we want to protect that relationship as much as possible, um, maybe insulate it so that uh, we don't burn bridges. And so I, I do think that that is probably why it's such a part of why it's such a quiet topic is we we just want to protect that. So in our situation, we had no notice. Um, We were talking earlier, I think some families have a slow fade where they see their child kind of stepping away and stepping out of the faith that they were raised in. For us, we had no clue. Our child was active in Christian service and in a, a university, Christian university, and, you know, it was for timing for our story, it, it was right about 2020. So right when the schools shut down, churches shut down, all those things, we found out very abruptly that our child had decided that they were an atheist and some other things. And so, you know, the details of the story are different with every family, but obviously there's been a breach there of what they were raised in and what they've always known to be true to what they're choosing to live in now. And I think that story of the prodigal son, when we get to that situation, either slow fade or quickly, we open up to that book and we're like reading that story. But there's a lot missing. It's like he leaves, we know he does some things, and then he comes back and there's a celebration. But how are we supposed to live in that in-between time in those middle years? When our heart's aching and, and then the, the practical side of it, you know, how, how do we manage life? And so that starts into our story, at least. I think that you're right. The parable in the Bible, all we know is he lavishly and recklessly spent all his money. And then there was a famine. He didn't have any money left. And he went to feed pigs, which was against the Jewish law. Mm-hmm. I think there's some verse that says, cursed is he that feeds pigs. That was something in a Jewish teaching. And so it was like the lowest of the lowest of the lowest things he could be doing. It was when he hit rock bottom that he kind of came to himself. Yeah. But the father didn't know what he was going through at all. We know as the reader, because Jesus is telling the story, but the father We don't know how he was praying. We don't know if he felt guilty. We don't know if he felt like, oh, man, I shouldn't have given him all that money. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine that 
if you're in that situation, you kind of go through all that process. And so you're right. There's a lot. I hadn't thought about that before, but there's a lot Mm -hmm. that's not in that parable. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of fill in the blanks from our own experiences, maybe. We can't really put words in them or prayers in the mouth of the Father in that parable, but how have you prayed? What has been helpful to you in the Bible or maybe something else that's been helpful? Because you don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to write off a child that you love with all your heart, even though that love is not being reciprocated. How do you pray? How do you deal with the... There must be so many different emotions that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Well, I almost feel like before we go to how do we pray, we have to understand more those different emotions and all the processing. Because I think sometimes when our children are walking through something, there is a purpose in it that the Lord is trying to teach us something in it. I can very quickly go and I I need to pray for his prodigalness, his situation, right? But if I just jump to that and not recognize what the Lord is doing in me, then I don't think I'm going to have the complete knowledge and understanding of what's going on here because I think the Lord is trying to refine me as well. Oh, uh, let me let me just stop there for a minute. Pam, that is really beautiful because we usually think the problem is someone else out there somewhere, and yet God needs to work on our hearts as well. So I, I just really want to emphasize that's a really wonderful perspective to have. And uh, so anyway, go ahead. I did. I just think that's important to, to to underline that. Yeah. Well, as far as that goes, like when we kind of come to this knowledge that our our child is a prodigal, then there's a lot of guilt and questioning through. You know, is this a response to something I did or didn't do? Is this fixable? Can I go in and fix the situation for them? What we know is that ultimately, this is a rebellion from our child in their response to God. So we we take it personally as an affront, like, oh, it's something I did, and it's all a response to me, which it might be like part of that, right? But ultimately, we all have decisions to make according to our relationship with God. And so, you know, I have nine kids. And in this situation, my older children, you know, that had all been raised in this cluster, obviously, we don't have prodigals at eight or nine or 10 years old, right? Because they're just not to that age yet, where they're making their own decisions and going their own way. And so my children range from 10 years old to 27. And so I rely on the conversations that I'm having with my older children to say, what did I miss? Was I wrong here? Was, you know, did we do something that damaged you in your growing up? So when we have those numbers to sit here and say, no, mom, like we didn't get that from what you did, or that didn't affect us that way. We see that each person really has that individual decision-making process and how they respond to the way they were parented. So if that gives you some idea, but we feel like we want to jump in and fix it and control it because we start believing that we were part of the problem or we were the problem. So just as much as we think, oh, they're having a problem, we need to pray for them to fix it. The Lord kind of brings it back and says, 
let's evaluate what you've been going through. Let's see. And that's a good pivotal thing for us to all have at certain times of our life to go back and evaluate, right? And so, like I said, I have younger children in the home still. So this has been a process where we've learned to be better listeners to our younger children. We've learned to recognize things that maybe we didn't see in our older ones. You know, we're older, so hopefully we're wiser and we do better. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of answered my next question a little bit, and that is, you said that God was refining you. What are some of the other lessons that you have learned? What are some of the other spiritual insights you've gained, and how have you grown spiritually in this process that God is working in your life? Well, I think we see the spiritual warfare in a better way. At first, we think the child is the problem. The child is, you know, my enemy now because they've just totally jettisoned everything we've taught them. And, and you know, we feel like that's the position of an enemy, but we have to recognize that they are not our enemy, but they've been taken captive by the enemy. And so in that, it gives me a tenderness for not just my own, but any prodigal I hear about, people that I might see in circumstances in my circle of friends or in the community that are struggling with a lifestyle, I, I think instead of jumping to the conclusion that they themselves are terrible and bad and against all these things, that they are the enemy. I'm recognizing that this is spiritual warfare. They've been taken captive. And because of that, we need to go like in Ephesians 6 and recognize we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, against the principalities, which will lead us into prayer because that's how we fight our battles best, right? Right. Well, I'm glad you brought up that Ephesians, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not fleshly, but they're, they're mighty through the power of God. Mm-hmm. Some people use that word spiritual warfare, which you just did, and some of my listeners might not use that phrase, but I think that Bible verse sort of brings it back. Like, we are fighting for for the light. We're struggling. We're striving to yield to God ourselves and know that, you know, God is victorious in all these situations. And it does feel like warfare sometimes in our prayers. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you said with this increased wisdom and all these things, you may be treating your younger kids a little differently. I think sometimes the younger kids and families get the better deal because hopefully the parents have learned some lessons. I want to touch on something here that I hadn't really realized until recently. I looked up the word prodigal. Do you know what the word prodigal means? Definition, I don't recall. Mm -mm. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. We know by the context what we think it means, and it's not actually a word that's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so I looked it up, and it means recklessly extravagant, lavish, wasteful, to squander things. Mm. And that's really what he did. I thought it meant the going away part, but it meant he was recklessly extravagant. He could have taken that money and invested it, started a business been successful, but he went and blew it all. It's like somebody winning the lottery of millions of dollars and a year later, 
they have less money than they did before. That's kind of a prodigal moment mm-hmm. in a way from that from that context. Right. My question is, what do you think causes someone to be recklessly extravagant? Maybe say like in the context of our conversation, someone who has left their family, they recklessly abandon the way they were brought up or their faith or something, and they're just doing anything, everything, whatever, and you don't even always know because you may not have contact, but what do you think are some of the causes? I'm trying to think of that guy in the parable itself. He got all this money, and he went out and he blew it. Mm -hmm. What was going on there? What caused him to blow it instead of invest it and be a responsible person? I'm just curious if you have any insights on that. Well, and I think we can, especially with your definition, reckless and extravagantly, that wouldn't have to just pertain to money, right? Oh, right. It could pertain to behaviors, many different types of behaviors. But I think that at the deep down part of it, it is listening to, it's how we process information. It's how we process the hurts and maybe the little traumas or the big traumas in our life, how we process those things and putting that with, pairing that with lies from the enemy. Because we know that Satan is the father of lies and he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when we start to process information through that grid of of listening to the lies and we are not reconciling that to the truth of God's word, then we're going to react to that. And I think that spinoff is a lot of times a prodigal. And sometimes it's a prodigal for six months. Sometimes it's a prodigal in mind, but not in action indeed. And then sometimes it's full-blown walk away, living completely different life. Give some ideas. Yeah, there are degrees of this. I mean, what about you and me, have have I ever had a prodigal moment where I was the recklessly, I don't know, recklessly abandoned everything I ever believed in about God, but there have been certainly times where I've turned away from the Father and tried to do things on my own. Mm-hmm. Even if it was just for five minutes or a day or something, I realize, you know, you do have to have that coming back mm-hmm. and repenting. And he's always there and listening and available for us to return. Yeah, I love the part in the parable where it says he sees him coming a long way off and he runs to meet him. Mm -hmm. I had a friend one time tell me, and he used to be a preacher, he said, according to Jewish custom or tradition or law or whatever, if somebody left the family, they were an outcast, a social outcast. So he said that the father was running to be the first one to meet him. He gave him a ring. He gave him a robe. He gave him sandals. That meant that he was part of the family again. And so that then the people in town couldn't say, oh, well, he's outcast. You know, he accepted him, so they had to. Mm -hmm. But he ran to meet him. It's like he'd been waiting. It's like he was expectant, waiting. And I think that kind of a good model for us. But Mm -hmm. that readiness of the father to receive. Does that inspire you? How do you see that part of the parable in your own situation? Because you're in the role a little bit of the father there, you know, the parent that's yeah 
ready to receive someone back. And, and that is where we are. We're in the waiting right now. And so I can't say that our story is completely done, right? Yeah. So since we are still in this waiting, I just have to trust that God will bring that point of reconciliation and not get waylaid from the tasks that he has for us now. And I look forward to that hopeful time, right, when we're all together again. I try to find ways to pursue this child, though it's never reciprocated. I keep trying, you know. And so I feel like the Lord told us, you know, I've got him, but it's going to be a while. I think of that scripture in Exodus, I believe it's 14:14 that says, "Be still, my God will fight for you. You need only to be still." And so I just trust that the Lord is working out this story as we're waiting. We're going to trust that the Lord is fighting for him, for us, for his truth to prevail. I don't know that we can imagine that exact moment when our child comes home because we've already been proven to us that our dreams and imaginations for the future of our children isn't always turning out like we think, right? And so um, maybe it's kind of hard to envision that moment because we know that it may look very different than what our expectations are, but we can wait well and we can trust God while he's writing our child's story, while he's writing our story, and we can continue to walk forward in faith that he is fighting for us and he is working in all of our lives. You know, I love what you're saying about, you said this earlier too, your child, every child has his or her own relationship with God. You don't want a child just to regurgitate what you've taught them without thinking about it and making it their own. Right. To me, what I hear you saying is you're showing a lot of respect for your child and trusting God to work all this out. But I think that sense of respect, well, back to the father of the parable, he said, okay, son, here's your share of the money. I respect you. I'm going to let you do whatever you do with it. He never ran after him to check up on him to see how he was spending that money so foolishly. Give him a list of instructions on his way out the door. Like, this is what you're allowed to spend it on. This is what you're not allowed to spend it on. No, there's like, okay, here you go. I asked earlier about what causes someone to become recklessly extravagant. And sometimes it's, you hear stories of kids going off to college and they've had this very strict upbringing and they get to college and all of a sudden they can do anything they want to in their minds. And they do. And it sort of all falls apart sometimes. Yeah. Because they've never had the self-discipline. The discipline has always been imposed from a parent. And so kids need to learn. They need to find themselves, literally. They need to find their own sense of boundaries and all those things. And anyway, what I hear you saying is there needs to be a level of respect that you have for a child, even if he's doing something, you know, living a lifestyle, whatever, that you don't agree with or wouldn't choose for them. You've got to give them the space to find out those things for themselves. What do you think it is that 
in the story of the parable of the prodigal son, you know, he's at rock bottom, and the Bible says he came to himself, or he came to his senses. What do you think it is that causes anyone to kind of come to himself and realize, oh my gosh, you know, I've made a mess of things. I need to go back to the Father. Now, obviously, the metaphor is to come back to God. What do you think that aha moment is that causes someone to come to themselves? I don't know that I could pinpoint that exact moment, and I think for every person it's going to be very different. But I can tell you that leading up to that moment, there are probably a lot of touch points or influences upon their life. So I literally do not discount signs on the wall. Like if my child was to go into somebody's home and there's a scripture on their wall, like that's going to speak to them because we know that the word does not return void, right? If they're somewhere and they hear some Christian lyrics or what if they encountered like an accident on the side of the road and they saw somebody in peril and they had to go through and reconcile that in their own life? Like, what if that was me or how would I respond? There's opportunities that we each have when we are just living our life. We have no idea as we interact, if we're interacting with prodigals. I always think to myself, I pray that. In this process, the Lord will be putting people within my child's sphere that would be making deposits. And I also, you know, you hear of of the Lord speaking to people in dreams. And I just pray that the Lord will use whatever means and whatever steps he needs to take to finally bring my child to that point of decision. But I do think that point is going to be different for each one. And and I do think it probably takes hitting the bottom of the barrel. But again, that's going to look different for each person as well. So you're getting into something that I, I think is really important here. Some of my listeners may be thinking, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. All my kids are happy members of the family and we've never had that sort of thing happen. And maybe they even pass by that parable in the Bible, but I love what you said about how God can use you maybe to help someone that you don't even know has been the prodigal. So how does this parable apply to someone who doesn't feel like it does? One of those things is you said, maybe you're the way God is going to help reach that person, right? Yeah, right. How else can this parable apply to someone who on the surface may feel like, hey, this doesn't really apply to me. Well, I think I'd encourage everyone listening to be sensitive to your friends and the people around you in the circle, because it probably applies to you in some way a little more than you realize. We were talking earlier about the secretiveness of prodigals, and there's a lot of shame involved, especially in Christian circles. When you have a child that is a prodigal. And so it's this quiet, secret thing. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier as we're processing this is it something I did wrong? Is it something I could have done different? We know if we're having those thoughts, 
the people in our circles, the people in a pew next to us, if they use pews anymore, I don't know if many people do, but anyway, the people next to us in our circles are probably going, oh, you know, I understand they have a child that's left the church, left the faith. I wonder what their house really looked like. I wonder what they did. And so there is this mental processing. I think that we can be sensitive as listeners to our friends if they're struggling to not discount them, to not make assumptions of them, but to recognize that, okay, there's there's a story going on here. I wonder how the Lord is going to work it out for his glory and for for the good of others. So I think that if we listen, we'll find out it affects us more than we know. And for those who are struggling with having a prodigal, I think we need to be more vulnerable to share that and in safe places with safe friends, right? I'm always very surprised. You know, you mentioned I have a podcast and I talk to women about all sorts of subjects. Well, often after we turn off the recording and I might mention I have a prodigal, you would not believe how many people respond with, I do too, or I did and I don't anymore because they've come home, or I also was once a prodigal, but I have returned. And so let me give you some encouragement that your child may come home too, you know? So I think it affects a lot of people in one way or another, and we need to be willing to have that conversation and to be good listeners and to not sit in judgment over that. Yeah, that is so, so wonderful. The word that comes to me after you saying all that is just the word compassion. Yeah. It's so easy. Sometimes (laughs) it's worse with the folks at church. It shouldn't be, but, you know, we get so self-righteous and judgmental of somebody else's having a problem because we don't know all the story. We don't, we haven't listened to their heart. But when Jesus saw the people, he was moved with compassion. They had problems. He knew that, but he had compassion on that. And so let's say a mom or dad who has a prodigal child and they're embarrassed to talk about it. They feel like it's their fault. They feel this sense of guilt and shame. How could someone who isn't in that situation be compassionate in a way that doesn't sound like they're being judgmental or self-righteous about it? Well, do you know what I'm saying? How can they be supportive? What's the best way to be supportive? Well, I think they could actually just ask, how's it going with that child? Have you heard anything recently? You know, is there any change? And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the child, but I'm also praying for you as you process through and as you grow through this. Because like we said, there's guilt, there's shame, there's all these attacks from the enemy upon us. And so I think a very compassionate route is to simply be praying for those who are your friends that are walking through this. Yeah. And as you said, you may not even know it sitting next to you in church. You may not even know it. So it's about, well, I think part of it too is just letting God direct you to be in the right place at the right time, to Mm -hmm. maybe ask the right questions. How are you really doing? Mm -hmm. Because we can hide our feelings pretty well sometimes, especially at church. We don't want anybody to know our problems because we think they're going to think 
less of us somehow, but actually when you are a little vulnerable and open up and share someone, like you said, in a safe place, in a safe time, you can have that support. Mm -hmm. We need that support. I also think that it's very easy as a response to shell up and to just take a protective, a self-protective mode. And I think that is part of another enemy tactic. Like if Satan was being real systematic about this, right? He'd be like, you know, if I could shut down these parents and make them feel like their story isn't worth something, their results, you know, they say the proof is in the pudding. And so if we look at this um, parent and we can cast so much doubt and shame on their situation, then we'll clam up. We'll stop speaking the truth because now we're a little unsure if if we did things right. We're a little unsure of the truth. And it's a really good way to shut us down as believers. Again, that shame and that not being willing to be vulnerable. But I think if we take this head on as, you know, those those praying warriors, those spiritual warriors and say, you know what? I'm not going to have it. Like, Lord, if you called me to do something, this side situation isn't going to derail me from what you've called me into. And so I think that's another way is that we can support the parents to say, you know what? This has not disabled your life. This has not made everything else in your life moot. Step up and step into the calling that God has on your life. Don't let the enemy throw you off track. That is so powerful because I, I think sometimes we do, if we've if we feel like we've messed up somehow, it sort of deters us from trying to be what God has called us to. But maybe it, it is the call to, okay, as you said, step up. Let's let's go forward with what God is calling us to do right now. Mm-hmm. If you know someone, if you're listening and you know someone who may have a child that you might think of as a prodigal, ask God how you can be supportive. Ask God how to reach out to this person just be there for them because they might need somebody to talk to, some a shoulder to cry on, or you might have some words of wisdom that will be helpful. I'm thinking of some of those people you mentioned too well, that you've had on your podcast that after you clicked off the record button, they said, well, I was a prodigal. Mm-hmm. I'm interested from their perspective, was there ever anything that they shared that helped them have that turning around? Did they ever mention what that was? or? I think that in a lot of cases, the parents always were willing to have conversations. They were always willing to have the door open. And, you know, there's boundaries within that, depending on the situation, how physically open the door is or not. But parents had hearts that were wanting and waiting to reconcile and willing to recognize that they weren't perfect, right? And then also, that's one, is a willingness. And number two, pretty much everybody said, my parents prayed for me. I know that I put my parents through something, but they prayed for me. I think that's huge. Throughout this journey, I remember this quote that I pulled out of a book called Legacy of Prayer by Jennifer Kennedy Dean. And I read it years and years ago before this prodigal situation occurred in our family. But I've gone back to it so many times because it really ministers to my heart. And it says, prayer has no limits. 
no time limits, no geographical limits, just as surely as we can provide for our children's present and daily needs through prayer, we can also reach into their futures, laying a foundation of blessings for our children, our grandchildren, and all of our descendants. Now, this next part is what really gets me. Prayer is so effective that when our children are away from us, we can continue to parent them through our prayers because our prayers are more powerful even than our presence. And for me, we have this separation and it goes back to that control idea. Like there's a separation. I can't fix this. But you know what? You know who can? God can. Right. And he's connecting them with people encountering and um, circumstances. My prayers are actually more powerful than my presence. You know, and in our case, what had happened is instead of our child leaving and going to college, we actually moved 2,000 miles away from our hometown right about the whole time this happened. And in some respect, I, I went, oh, bad timing, God. You know, we should have stayed on the West Coast because we could have been part of the solution. And then it's like I hear God going, uh, no, I needed you out of the way. I needed you 2,000 miles away because I had a work that I was going to do and you need to trust me. The most powerful position that you can have right now as a parent is not your presence. The most powerful position that you have is prayer. So get to business. One of the things I have learned as a parent through all the ups and downs of parenting, the mistakes and the and the good things I've done is letting go of that sense of personal responsibility, personal control over my kids. You do have to turn them over to God mm-hmm. under whatever circumstances, even if everything's mm-hmm. supposedly perfect. You still have to let go of that desire to be in control because mm-hmm. we're kind of stepping into God's role almost. I mean, certainly as adult children. I cannot tell my adult children what to do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Prayers are more powerful than your presence. Yes. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, I will get the information on that book. And if you could give me the page number two, I'll put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful, powerful perspective on what prayer is. Seems like there's some other things we ought to talk about here. You had another quote or something you were going to share. Romans eight twenty six twenty seven. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. So that might fit in very well with just saying that our prayers are more powerful and that even the Holy Spirit helps us pray. I love that verse from Romans because Paul's right. We don't always know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. We don't always understand what the real issues are. But that can't stop us from praying, and it doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from working with us in in the process. I want to come back to this idea of how to be supportive. I've seen in church situations where, you know, it's so easy to just quote a Bible verse and think that's going to solve the problem when when it's not your problem. You think, oh, dear, you know, you're coming down from this wonderful place of where you're just such a good Christian and you're going to help this poor little person who's struggling. And you quote a Bible verse or two and think that's going to solve the problem. 
Have people ever sort of done that to you where they think they're going to zoom in and say something perfect and that will make you feel better? Well, and the verse is to the Deuteronomy passage to train up a child where they will go and when they're old, they won't depart. And I'm like, well, is that a promise? Is that um, principle? You know, and that was, was something that I've had to stop and think about, you know, that's the one that always comes up. But for the most part, my friends have been in that compassion mode mm. and they are like, how are things? Are there changes? Can I pray? How are you doing? And so, yes, I do think that it's very easy to just give a verse and walk away. Or it's just like somebody saying, if you're, you're really bearing your heart and you have a struggle and somebody just says, well, I'll pray for you. And then they just go on their merry way. And you're like, are they really going to pray for me? Was that just a word? Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of one of those are we just saying that as Christianese to fill the air and just have a response? How are you doing? I'm fine. You know, that's the, that's the regular secular, like, how are you? I'm fine. Well, Christians fill those words and fill the airspace in different ways. So I think it's, you know, good to actually put some substance. Right. Well, what I hear you saying, obviously, is if you know someone who's struggling with this, give them your heart, not just clever little Bible verses. Let them feel your heart. Pam, I want to honor you for all that you're doing to help moms. I know you've been doing your podcast. How long has your podcast been going now? June of 2020, so over three years. Yeah, that's exciting. Three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've contributed to a couple of books recently. You've done some talks to moms groups. You're letting your light shine. You're sharing your words of wisdom, your struggles, the lessons you've learned. I'm sure some of the mistakes you've made. And that's really helping a lot of moms out there. And it's, I just want to honor you for that because you're just going about what God has called you to do. And on top of having all these kids and grandkids, I mean, I can't imagine. I had three kids. That was plenty. <laughs> <laughs> but I just really want to honor you for all you're doing to uh, shine your light in the world and help other people. Thank you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or that you'd like to clarify or just kind of sum up of what we've talked about? What would you like to leave my listeners with to think about in this whole idea of prodigal children, how they fit into the mix? Because there's a wide range of listeners. Mm -hmm. What would you say is kind of a to sum all this up? Well, I would say find community. Because you're not alone. You may feel like you're alone, but there are a lot more of us out there than you realize, you know? And so find community, keep praying. And, you know, there's times when I get busy and I forget to pray. I need to leave myself some reminders. I actually have even a little list I have written on paper, then run through a laminator and stuck it to the wall of my shower that is very specific regarding my prodigal. You know, Lord, I pray that the Lord, you would reveal yourself to them, that you'll destroy any spirit of rebellion. I pray for restoration and, and all that. But we get busy in life, and sometimes we forget to specifically pray for that child. So I would say leave yourself reminders. And so my reminder is in the shower. So every day when I'm there, I see that on my wall. Just keep active in that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. How can people connect with you, Pam? How can they find out about your podcast and your website? Well, my website is tendingfields.net. And my podcast, different name, The Mom Next Door Stories of Faith, you can find it on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then I actually have a mommies group on Facebook that's pretty active. It's simply called Tending Fields Moms Group. And we talk about the practical things of life and things that are on our heart. And so they can definitely connect with me over there. I'm on Instagram too. That's also Tending Fields. Yeah, that's where I am. Okay, cool. Well, I'll I'll have all those links in the show notes so people can check that out. I've got three final questions that I ask all my guests. You may remember this from last time. The first one is, if you could talk to any Bible character other than Jesus, who would it be and what would you ask them? I should have done my homework and remembered that you asked these questions. (laughs) Oh, but see, that's good that you didn't. Oh, yes, probably. So let's see. You know, I, I think I could be in on the conversation with Mary and Martha and chat with them a little bit and just learn from their lives. What would you ask them? If they understood more about the Lord through their personality, if they understood more of the Lord's plan for their life by recognizing their personality type, does that make sense? As we understand the way God created us and the personality that he gave us, we see a little more clearly what the role he has for us to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Like, we could get frustrated with ourselves. Like, why am I like this? Or, oh, this is an annoying trait of me. Or we could go, oh, Lord, okay. You know, like, I didn't realize that, that there was a purpose for that. And you had a plan for that. So let me actually receive that and step into it. Um, now, there are things that can be annoying and do need reformed. And, and I will say that we always need to be teachable and learning. But sometimes we look at ourselves and we're super critical and we don't recognize that there's a reason for it. It's not our plan, but it was God's plan. Well, that's really interesting because Mary and Martha, we kind of stereotype them of you know, certain actions or attitudes. But each one of them loved Jesus. Each one of them believed in Jesus and followed him. And they brought their own calling mm-hmm. to the way they followed him. So I mm-hmm. think that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah, that's, a, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So here's the second question. Is there any Bible character that you especially identify with? Would probably also be Martha. Just because I I do get quite wrapped up and busy and doing and doing and doing, and I just need to remember to take the time to sit down. Yeah, I hear that. You know, I want to say about Martha, though, she also, when their brother Lazarus had died, she was the first one to run out and talk to him. And Jesus basically had her reaffirm her faith. She proclaimed her faith that he was the Messiah. It didn't shatter her faith. I mean, she had a very strong faith. We kind of dump on Martha a little too much, I think, but mm-hmm. she had a strong faith. So I would, I would say that that's true about you too, Pam. <laughs> she, was, she was out there because she was going to move on to the next step and get to take care of what needed to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's the third question. 
The Bible Speaks to You podcast is really all about getting back to the original message of Jesus and imbibing his mindset to think and act and love and pray like he did. How would you describe Jesus's mindset? To do the will of the Father. And that looked different in many different situations. Yeah, Moa, you nailed it. That is so beautiful. Pam, I want to thank you so much for being with me and chatting about this. It's not the easiest thing to talk about. There's so many ideas that you've shared that have been helpful, especially that one about prayer. The one Bible verse I wanted to bring up and I didn't, so I'll bring it up now. So hopefully everybody's listening to the very end is that verse in, I think it's Isaiah. Let's see. It's Isaiah 54, 13. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. I know that's something my mom prayed about when we were kids. And we all came to faith in our own. You know, it wasn't just because we were brought up that way. We all made a conscious choice. And so if you're listening here and you know anyone with a, or you have a child who has, from your perspective, gone astray, remember that prayer, that promise. This is really a promise, as well as a precept. As Isaiah 54, 13, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. So I guess we'll leave it there. Pam, thank you so much for being here and sharing your heart and some of the struggles and lessons you've learned has been really helpful. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Well, thank you so much for being here and listening today. I hope you have found today's episode helpful, especially if you or someone you know has a child who you might think of as a prodigal, or maybe if you're one of those children who has been the prodigal. I hope you've found something helpful here. And if this doesn't seem to relate to you, especially with Christmas coming up, I hope you'll take some time just to pray that any of these hurt relations out there will be healed and can be restored. If you know someone who might enjoy this episode, I hope you'll share it with them. And if you have any questions or comments, I know Pam would love to hear from you, and I would too, so you'll have her information in the show notes, and you can contact me on my website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, and just click on the contact tab. I look forward to hearing from you. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast on my website, I hope you'll do so. When you do, I'll send you a prayer guide I put together called Praying with the Mindset of Jesus. All you have to do is go to the website, click on the subscribe tab in the menu bar, fill out the form, and you're all set. If you'd like to read a full transcript of this interview today, you can find a link for that on the show notes page, thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 218. This is episode 218. That's it for this week. I want to thank you again for being here and all the ways you've been supportive. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week, take care, and we'll see you next time. God bless.